0: People are going to be writing about us for the rest of our lives for me, and after we're dead. So I intend to either confuse the issue so much they never knew what was going on, or to try and keep shoving out bits and bits. So as whoever is bothered to be looking at it in the future, the people that really know will sort out, you know, they'll know what was going on a bit. There's a lot of books about the Beatles, a lot of theories, and I try not to read them. And whenever I do, the first thing is like, oh, that's wrong. where you go trying to find out any little bit of dirt that they can write about you. Beatles is Beatles app, Beatles, Beatles, Beatles. It doesn't matter, you know, what what people say, you can't live all your life by what they want.
1: Another Kind of Mind, a different kind of Beatles podcast by Another Kind of Mind. Welcome to A Mistake in Many Ways, How Lennon and McCartney Accidentally Broke the Beatles. In our first episode, we tackled the infamous divorce meeting that triggered the six-month standoff between Lennon and McCartney. We detailed some of the events leading up to this confrontation, and then took a look at Paul's reaction, both in the meeting itself and immediately afterward. We contrasted John and Paul's respective first public appearances after the divorce meeting. John gives an interview three days afterward where he candidly reveals feelings of deep disillusionment and depression, suggesting that whatever elation he felt at the divorce meeting was temporary. Meanwhile, five days after the meeting, Paul presents a surprisingly and perhaps misleadingly poised and happy front at the midnight cowboy film premiere. We discussed how this may have given John a false impression, Paul's mental state. In the subsequent weeks, John and Paul retreat to their respective corners. John takes the stage with Yoko for a slew of public appearances to promote peace, the cold turkey single, and various art projects. Paul slips away to Scotland with his new family, seeking privacy on their farm as he slowly absorbs the full weight of the Beatles' breakup and sinks into a deep depression. And so begins Lennon and McCartney's trial separation. Episode two of this podcast will focus on the first phase of this separation, from October 1969 until early January 1970. We'll discuss four key interviews from John and Paul's single interview during this period. Paul's single, weird, emotionally fraught, cryptic, explosive interview that gets absolutely no headlines. (laughs) even though it's a life cover story. The Beatle thing is over. No one, anyone, anyone? No one, not gonna quote that. Not gonna ask a follow-up question. Anyway, let's get started, shall we? Yes. Now this is a very interesting period because John is making a lot of public appearances and Paul is making none. Paul (laughs) gives a total of one brief yet significant comment over the next six months that's to life magazine and even that was only because he was under duress to do so <laughs> right exactly they, they extorted an interview out of him john on the other hand is doing constant publicity appearances with yoko they release the cold turkey single the wedding album the short film apotheosis john and yoko perform as the plastic ono band at the lyceum ballroom with george and delaney and bonnie and a bunch of other people in early December. And also in December, John, along with two other nominees uh, is featured as a man of the decade for an ATV documentary. And they also do a BBC special called like 24 hours in the life of John and Yoko. So he is really putting himself out there almost 24 seven. He's really building up his solo image, you know, his solo career really via his name as a solo artist and also the john and yoko brand Mm -hmm. and that does on the surface look like he meant what he said he's ready for a divorce and he's moving on with his life but throughout these three months john is also making statements about the beatles and We definitely believe that although those statements are for the public, they are as much or more for Paul's ears because Paul and John are not personally speaking at this time. Right. So it's kind of John's only option. Um, But aside from that, we already know for a fact that after the breakup, they spoke to each other through interviews. And so that seems to have begun here uh, as this is the very first time they really lost touch yeah the first time since they met since they they met speaking every day Mm -hmm. or every couple days i wonder if that was almost like a withdrawal for them that is a big change to be cut off from your support person When when things are bad between you and up in the air i'm sure they've gone days without speaking since 1957 but this is like the result of like they had a fight and then they didn't talk for a really long time and that might be the first time this has ever happened yeah and withdrawal is exactly what john called it yeah he literally compared it to withdrawing from heroin that is true in 1980 he said he drew upon his experience of withdrawing from paul to write how do you sleep
0: i felt resentment, so i used that situation the same as i used withdrawing from heroin to write cold turkey I used my resentment and withdrawing from Paul and the Beatles and the relationship with Paul to write, How Do You Sleep?
1: What's interesting is how both the content and tone of John's comments about Paul and the Beatles shift over time, over these next six months. And we'll Mm -hmm. just go chronologically through the most important statements and parse each of them out. But before we get started, there's something we just want to briefly address. We did discuss it in episode one, so this is just a short, Disclaimer slash reminder, there is a not unpopular view that John Lennon was so greedy, egocentric, and callous that despite the immense time, energy, and emotion he invested in fighting Paul over the separation, his sole motivations were money and power. In other words, he was willing to drag the divorce out for years, attempt to trap Paul into staying, write songs about him, freak the fuck out in interviews. All of that was just for financial convenience or pure vindictiveness and since this john isn't emotionally invested he's eager to keep paul in his life forever as a cash cow and whipping boy and willing to ruthlessly exploit paul's love for him and it's hard to champion that version of john especially from a moral standpoint though there are definitely people who try you cannot make a coherent argument that john was greedy and heartless, and also in the right. But all of that is kind of beside the point. The main thing that we want to emphasize is that literally no one describes the relationship this way. Fans and writers sometimes interpret it this way, but no actual people in the Beatles circle have ever supported this notion, ever. Yeah. John is weeping in the movie theater with Jan Wenner watching Paul on the roof in Let It Be. He's primal screaming his way through his therapy and he's obsessing over Paul throughout 1971 in every interview. If this idea of John is correct, if he's just stringing it out in order to milk Paul for money, there'd be no reason for him to talk about it all the time. When rich, famous people are in an acrimonious, cold-blooded divorce that goes on forever and ever, they're not out there talking about it to the public. They just let the legal process roll. They try to get whatever they can. And they say no comment. There's no reason if he's in it for... For money? Um, There's for no re- money, yeah. There's no reason to be this fucking messy? No. In fact, his lawyers will be would be advising him don't say anything about the divorce proceedings yes which they are i think which they are keep saying john stop so yeah john can't shut up about paul throughout 1971 (laughs) even when it's in his best financial and legal interests also he is insisting paul's his best friend and he tells alan klein i love paul but every time i opened up to him he hurt me And sure, a cynical view of John could interpret everything he does and says as insincere and manipulative. And Paul is the dim-witted Patsy who fooled himself into believing (laughs) John's love all these years. And still does. Right, (laughs) he's still too stupid. He hasn't figured it out. Um, Yeah, that is a viewpoint. And if you really connect with that take of John Lennon, it's sort of the Albert Goldman version. Um, Mm -hmm. If that feels correct to you, go for it. You know, you can find that view represented elsewhere, but you're not going to find it on our podcast because it is not our view and we're not going to entertain it. As always, we are operating from the belief that these are real people in a real relationship who love each other deeply and are experiencing real feelings of hurt, (laughs) anger, grief, and hope. And our goal here is just to look at their behavior and statements empathetically and try to discern their objectives on october 22nd john's giving another interview and he's asked repeatedly about the paula's dead rumor to an annoying degree actually because he's trying to promote cold turkey and the reporter just won't leave it alone, keeps asking yeah. about Paul. <laughs> so anyway, John dispels the rumor, and when he's asked about Paul's whereabouts, he obviously doesn't know, although he pretends he does. <laughs> he says Paul is working in the studio.
0: John Lennon, there is no doubt in your mind about the fate of uh, Paul McCartney. Uh, no, it's a joke, isn't it? I mean, Paul isn't dead. you know? And if he was, we would have told you. you know, we'd be the first to know. No, he's, hungry, got a baby. A baby. he's recorded music for ringo's film and produced mary hopkins so he's very much alive
1: i wonder if john's idea is like oh if i say he's working it'll be less suspicious than if i say he's on holiday right right yeah which paul is not <laughs> which paul is not <laughs> so, <laughs> that's a little tap which, dancing there on john's yeah. part yeah it's sort of hilarious because if anyone bothered to check up on that then it would just add fuel to the rumor because <laughs> it'd be like john said paul's in the studio but we checked and he's not well they definitely do check because they're at, they're <laughs> hound and everybody in fact they yeah, they went over to apple funny. offices and oh, i think oh, Derek Lord. taylor had to come out and make a statement on october 24th and be like paul is not dead and then they asked <laughs> ringo and ringo had to make a statement too but then I think the fact that nobody knew where he was and they couldn't sure. get a hold of him was, sure. they were like, where is he? If he's not dead, <laughs> produce the body, you know? So yeah, that's how they go and track him down in Campbelltown. Oh, jeez! Beatles Bible says that Paul talked to the BBC on October 24th from Campbelltown. Uh-huh. Like, I uh-huh. guess maybe he called in poor Paul, right? <laughs> Yeah, he's like, "Oh my god! Okay, (laughs) hold on. I have to call the fucking BBC and tell them I'm not dead (laughs) dead. (laughs) because this is a national emergency. Apparently, I have to go into town and find a payphone. (laughs) So I guess that's what he did. Take a photo of him myself with the today's newspaper, (laughs)
0: right? (laughs) (laughs) Well, I don't try filming (laughs) it. You might get
1: This leads us to our next piece of media, which is the spot for Life magazine. It was published on November 7th. So the interview was conducted at some time between October 24th and November 7th. We don't have the exact date, but we know the story, which is that reporters track Paul down finally on his farm covertly filmed him. There was a confrontation with a bucket of water.
0: <laughs>
1: Some claimed there were actual punches thrown. Um, in any case, Paul eventually consented to a quick interview and a couple of begrudging yet absolutely iconic photos. Although the picture of Paul with his family on the back of the Jeep in Campbelltown gets the cover of Life Magazine, The actual new quotes from Paul are very short because he barely speaks to them. Most of the story is about the Paul is dead rumor, but they got his photo and they get a few quotes and we'll just go ahead and read them. Perhaps the rumor started because I haven't been much in the press lately. I have done enough press for a lifetime and I don't have anything to say these days. I am happy to be with my family and I will work when I work. I was switched on for 10 years and I never switched off. Now I'm switching off whenever I can. I would rather be a little less famous these days. I would rather do what I began by doing, which is making music. We make good music and we want to go on making good music, but the Beatle thing is over. It has been exploded, partly by what we have done and partly by other people. We are individuals, all different. John married Yoko. I married Linda. We didn't marry the same girl. The people who are making up these rumors should look to themselves a little more. There is not enough time in life. They should worry about themselves instead of worrying whether I am dead or not. What I have to say is all in the music. If I want to say anything, I write a song. Can you spread it around that I'm just an ordinary person and I want to live in peace? We have to go now. We have two children at home. Okay, so <laughs> let's talk about this. <laughs> like we said, even though there's not a lot in volume, there is quite a lot in content. Yeah. We're just going to have to go one by one through these because <laughs> you like said it's a lot. <laughs> so the first thing is the focus on family, which is going to be mm-hmm. super important moving forward. I'm happy to be with my family. I married Linda. We have two children at home. So he's communicating what we know now. He's trying to refocus on his family at the time. (laughs) Something else important he says here, I was switched on for 10 years and I never switched off. I think people often miss what an absolutely devastating statement this is. Yeah. Okay. In our last episode, we gave a fair amount of attention to John's mental health. We think that doing so is key to understanding John as a person and historical figure, and viewing his actions empathetically. So we likewise are going to give Paul's mental health the attention and consideration he deserves, to look at him as a whole person instead of oversimplifying his state of mind and entire personality the way he so often is in Beatles discourse. So let's take a look at this statement about fame. I was switched on for 10 years, and I never switched off. I think a myth has really grown up around Paul and fame. The idea that fame didn't harm him or didn't affect him in any way, or if it did, it was his own fault anyway for being a workaholic or or addicted to fame or an attention whore or whatever. Yeah, it's kind of a trope that he loves fame He has no complaints. He loves nothing more than being famous and having groupies and uh, selling records. And they all like those things. Everybody likes the, those are the good parts of fame. (laughs) Everybody (laughs) likes that. Everybody likes the sex and money and, you know, positive reinforcement. That's why you do it. But obviously this fucked him up too. And starting here, he starts going to considerable lengths to insulate himself. It is so obvious to me that Paul's relationship with fame is very, very complicated and probably a lot more conflicted than he lets on. Mm -hmm. Because of course, Paul has complained less about fame than John and George, but Paul complains about everything less than (laughs) John and George. I'm not saying that to knock them. It's just true. And whenever he is asked about The Downsides of Fame, he always tells that story about how when Beatlemania really hit and he was in Greece, he had to decide whether to stay in the business and deal with the fallout or to quit. And he chose to stay. So he made his choice from his point of view. And I think he kind of feels like, well, he Mm -hmm. can't have his cake and eat it too. Yeah. Um, And he's stuck to that. But they all made that choice at some point or other. They must have, because they're not idiots. Yeah. They could they could see how crazy Beatlemania was, and they were aware of the toll it was, you know, taking on them and that there were parts of it that really sucked. They could see the writing on the wall just as much as Paul could, and they also chose to stay. I'm not saying they're wrong for being transparent afterward about how it fucked them up at all. Far from it. I have enormous sympathy for all the Beatles about this, frankly unimaginable mind fucking experience they endured i'm just saying that just because paul doesn't talk about it as much doesn't mean he didn't and doesn't feel that pain as well one thing that he really does at this point is kind of disengage with the famous person and compartmentalize that identity as something that's separate from his true self yes and maybe he had already been doing that intuitively or unconsciously for years but he seems to be making a choice at this point to close himself off a bit you know for his own protection Mm -hmm. and he gets criticized for that like it means he's fake or something but like right who cares if it's fake if you're talking about like a real human being Uh uh-huh who needs to do whatever he needs to do to stay sane if he needs to disassociate, good for him. That's yeah a smart and reasonable way to protect yourself. And by the way, absolutely, Bob Dylan talks about doing the same thing and everyone's like, genius. Absolute so deep. Genius. <laughs> okay, well, Paul McCartney's not allowed to do it too? Yeah, well, that's because his fake self is polite. Yeah, so he was switched on for 10 years and never switched off. Something that is outside our understanding really Mm -hmm. i I don't even know what to compare that to except for like i don't know like being president being in a low level crisis at all times so when you think about it that way like of course he cried for an hour after john pulled the plug Mm -hmm. or after he perceived that john had pulled the plug of course Mm -hmm. he sank into a tremendous depression immediately afterwards because he'd essentially been running for 10 years straight it makes all the sense in the world that he finally collapsed the moment he was given permission Mm -hmm. regardless of how he felt about the band breaking up because the the human body just isn't made to withstand that kind of pressure that kind of psychological stress it's interesting that you know you said it was given permission and he was, you know, given permission by the situation, by the situation of, I guess we're not Beatles anymore. But going along with that, Linda explicitly had to give him permission and tell him it was all right to be tired. So it's interesting, those two things happen at once. And it seems like he was really able to internalize that. Paul does another life interview in March of 71. And in that interview, which is, you know, obviously it's over a year later, When he's looking back in retrospect on the breakup, he's, he says like, no, it's good. You know what? It hurt at the moment, but John was right. We definitely Mm -hmm. needed to break up. He gave me permission to leave. Hmm. (laughs) Did he though? (laughs) John's like, I did what now? I never (laughs) i I never have and i never will give you and i never will (laughs) yeah that being that famous is gonna take a toll on a person and so and this is why i still think that like no matter how much paul wanted the beatles to continue which i a thousand percent believe he did and no matter how much he loved them there has to have been part of him that was relieved the same way you can feel relief when a loved one dies after a long illness yeah i mean you don't want the outcome but you when you know it's coming and there's nothing you can do about it it's a relief to no longer be suffering yes to be free of the like the anticipation you know closure which is why i think he switches into grief At this time like i don't think he's sulking or pouting i think he's actually grieving and he's experiencing a real physical depression which has to be triggered not just by having his feelings crushed by one of the most important people (laughs) in his life although that's not nothing right but he's also transitioning suddenly from this hyperactivity he's been frantically treading water for like 18 months and Like, of course he's gonna just sink as soon as he turns that off. Especially since Paul is a person who uses work to keep all of his latent demons at bay, like work and weed. And the thing about working frantically to keep afloat is that not only does the work serve, you know, to keep you from sinking, it also functions in the moment as a distraction from your fear from your feelings about sinking like it distracts you from the dread and anticipation and fear so when the ship does sink and suddenly you are able to fully feel it it's a double whammy absolutely and to be honest i think that we see the same thing happen to john the following Mm -hmm. year in april Mm -hmm. because for a whole year leading up to that john has been, you know, hyperactive in the media. And it ramps up during this trial separation, like mm-hmm. for these six months when the Beatles are up in the air. You know, outside of Beatlemania or whatever, it is the period of John's life where he is running himself into the ground. Yes. After we're we're led to believe that he is having a existential crisis about fame and not wanting to be famous anymore. So <laughs> explain that one to me. Yeah, that definitely speaks to something. It's such a huge departure from John's usual pattern for the few years leading up to it and then for the rest of his life that that that's something's going on there. Yeah, and I know like the most generous interpretation of that is is like, well, he was really determined to spread peace which is fine but he's doing things other than peace he is talking about yeah. peace and promoting peace but he's also promoting his own stuff sure. his records and his films and just his name and yoko's name and like you know really pushing yoko's profile up there so he's working i mean let's not mince words right you know and again that immediately stops when that mccartney announcement comes john does the same thing he he sinks immediately goes down screaming well and here's another thing there's another reason why the traditional narrative can't see any of this is because the traditional narrative is so wedded to this idea of john doing everything first and then paul doing it after Mm -hmm. and that's just not the way it is that is not (laughs) the way it is Sometimes uh, John leads and sometimes Paul leads like John actually does follow Paul's lead in a lot of ways many times. Absolutely. I mean I'm not even arguing that it's 50-50. I mean maybe maybe John does lead more often than Paul does but I'm just saying that sometimes John is following Paul. Yeah and if you're not going to leave room for that possibility in your paradigm you're gonna miss stuff. Exactly but like there's a pretty clear parallel of what Paul's going through in this period and what John goes through after Paul leaves. Yeah. You know, when I say leave, I mean, divorce, meaning John says I'm leaving. And in April, Paul calling up John and saying, I'm leaving. Like, that's Mm. what I'm talking about. I'm not talking about, Oh, I see for the official record or like anybody's albums or, you know, I'm not talking Mm -hmm. about that. Like, let that go. I'm talking about the, their interpersonal
0: interactions
1: yeah Yeah. there's a direct parallel of their behavior there and people miss it because they because they are convinced that john had already washed his hands of the beatles by Mm -hmm. 1969 and that's not the case Something else that gets really overlooked is how often Paul mentions being unemployed. Many people seem to brush this aside, like it's a cover for how sad he was about John, which is ridiculous because he never covers how sad he was about John. He's very transparent about that. And I just want to emphasize how incredibly important this actually is losing one's job is one of the leading triggers of suicide for men. Culturally, a career or a job is such a vital part of a man's identity and self-esteem. And sometimes I think people are afraid that acknowledging that is the same thing as endorsing it. Right. So just to be clear, I'm not endorsing that attitude. Like I'm not suggesting that anyone's self-esteem Or will to live for God's sake (laughs) should ever be tied to any job. I'm just saying that it's a very, very real phenomenon. It shouldn't be brushed over. I agree. And not only is Paul a man of his generation who we know identifies as his job probably more than the average bear. Yeah. But he also has money insecurity. He has issues. Yes, yes. Yeah, like full on pathological irrational money issues with a capital i i mean for you know one point of evidence he's literally a hoarder he's opened up about that a bit in the past few years props to him for that yes and it's not something he's doing on purpose right (laughs) (laughs) he might be able to control or to um, manage the symptoms but a hoarder mindset is involuntary it's not it's not by choice yeah nobody's like i would like to be a hoarder no I, w- I would like to have extreme anxiety about exactly losing everything that i own i would love to behave in irrational and you know self-destructive ways for no reason that sounds fun Jeez. and just as another kind of general note on paul's many issues i always really hate to see that being reduced to Paul being a quote unquote cheapskate or whatever. And I understand that a super rich person having money issues is not like a pretty sight. It's not cute, especially in our current world of hideous financial inequity. And to me, this is a totally separate issue from whether you think being grotesquely rich, you know, having a X amount of dollars is a tipping point into being. Objectively immoral in some way, which I do, I do agree with that. But if we're trying to empathize with these guys as people, then we should try to empathize, right? Yeah, we're not saying like give Paul more money (laughs) that will make him feel better. In point of fact, I don't think it makes him feel better. It's not. I agree. That's not the cure for your money (laughs) problems. It's not more money. Exactly. Exactly. Yes, Paul has money issues the way some people have food issues right or body image issues or abandonment issues yes if you get messed up as a kid about basic life necessities sometimes it just never goes away no matter how much money or food or love you get and maybe he's worked through them now because we don't hear very much about you know any of that stuff now so that well the fact that he can talk about it a little bit to me indicates that he's worked through it a little bit yeah, but he, yeah. De- I mean, looking at his younger years, it's very obvious that he's got money insecurity, hmm in a way that's like uniquely threatening to him. Yes. Especially if money is a source of conflict between his parents. If there's secrecy about money, all of those things are going to uh, wreak havoc on him psychologically. And they might wreak havoc on him as an individual more than they would another person, because he might be particularly susceptible to certain traumas, just like everyone else in the world. So there's no, you know, there's no point saying, well, I grew up poor and yada yada, and I didn't mess me up. That might be true, but it, it messed him up. That's like saying, well, I grew up with all the same body image. Like I saw the same magazines. I had Barbies. They didn't affect me. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) Well, congratulations. Yeah. Yeah. You don't have that particular susceptibility. Good. Uh, you know, that's great. The fact, I think that he said when his mom died, what are we going to do without her money? Mm-hmm. That's not a normal thing for a child to say. And by the way, we only know that because Paul told us. <laughs> well, what, I mean, what kind of a cry for help is that? <laughs> by yeah. the way, I said this weird thing. What does it mean? Anybody? Can anybody help me? No? Okay. Yeah that's cool. Just continue to judge me. That's good. Right, right. He's like, by the way, I have no idea what is going on with me at any time. Like, I don't know what my fucking psychological issues are. <laughs> yeah. I'm just telling you what happened when my mom died from a secret illness that nobody mm-hmm. told me about. Right. Yeah.
0: I'm After just we- saying
1: it's my fault and I killed my mom. But other than that, I don't know <laughs> what we're yeah. going to do without her money. <laughs> yeah. Anyway, losing a job is a very 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 big deal and he wants to be a good provider and by the way now he has a wife and two kids yeah that he didn't yeah. have six months ago so mm-hmm. and not only like being able to provide materially but linda married a rock star she married a beetle for him psychologically you know yeah right even if it's not linda's issue yeah if it it is just paul's issue that can't feel great either yeah you can't just replace the old beatles with the beatles 2.0 right because the beatles are a singular thing yes you can replace it for something different and he does end up doing that he always gives always gives linda tremendous credit for that pulling him out of this not just through loving him and telling him he's great and helping him get over John but for helping him find a purpose like a Mm -hmm. new purpose helping him recommit to his art and giving him the confidence to build a career on his own which he hadn't done until this moment for whatever reason yeah everything had gone into the Beatles (laughs) there's another issue that I've personally never seen discussed anywhere But I think it's very important to talk about the fact that Paul's a new father at this moment and not the kind that goes to work and comes home and holds the baby for 15 minutes at the end of the day. In Scotland, he's with a newborn 24-7 and he's bathing and holding her and sleeping with her. And we don't know if he's changing nappies or (laughs) or feeding her or whatever. It's not about the labor he's doing. My point is he's definitely close to that baby, like Mm -hmm. actually skin to skin sometimes because we can see it in in pictures Mm -hmm. and stuff. Point being that new fathers like Paul, who are that intimate with a newborn, regularly for like big chunks at a time, actually experience hormonal changes as new moms do, right? Dads like Paul experience a significant dip in testosterone. And the reason for this is assumed to be to reduce aggression towards the babies and promote bonding. And well, that's definitely good. (laughs) Yes, obviously decreasing aggression is is good, but also a decrease in testosterone combined with depression can be dangerous. Same way that postpartum depression can be dangerous. So just to be clear, I'm not saying that hormonal changes in dads are a negative thing. I'm just making the point that depression in new dads can be dangerous, same as depression in new moms can be, even with the bonding hormones. And so this isn't necessarily a a just stop moping situation. Okay, not at all. Paul is experiencing a confluence of radical changes in his life at this moment. And several of them have physiological consequences. And this may help explain why Paul can sort of be On the one hand genuinely very happy with linda and his new babies and on the other hand terribly depressed and feeling worthless in relation to john and the beatles and his career right suddenly not having a job the hostile takeover of his company at least from paul's point of view that's how he sees it by a manager who is clearly antagonistic towards his interests and the three to one situation with his best friends feeling ostracized by them and ganged up on the hormonal changes a conspiracy that he is dead yes (laughs) which is so wild (laughs) oh that would be so crazy and creepy and creepy creepy no for sure If he's in that deep of a depression, like that is some weird. Yes, you're feeling like your life is ending and then people are out there having funerals for you and like literally acting like you're gone from the earth. Oh my God. Yes. That's nightmarish. It's terrible. Yeah. So all of that on top of the personal rejection he feels from John. It's a perfect storm. So it's important that we don't oversimplify paul's experience as has typically been done in the past and is still going on today agreed paul is a complex person and this is a crazy time he described it as one of the worst times in my life there is a lot of bad stuff going on with him in his mind and his body right now yeah but he also has described what a wonderful experience being a father was You of know, course. obviously that was important it was a huge bonding period for him and linda that's obviously wonderful so it's kind of like the best of times the worst of times you know? oh totally even though we know it was an awful time for linda due to you know paul's depression and his drinking and his staying in bed all day and who knows whatever else rages you know crying who knows what he's doing Mm -hmm. you know yeah um she also said that you know the first two albums like mccartney and ram were very precious to her because that time was very precious for them like it was a really yeah it really is their honeymoon period so Mm -hmm. you know again best of times worst of times (laughs) (laughs) let's move on to the part that concerns john and the beatles shall we (laughs) <laughs> Indeed, let's. The beetle thing is over. It has been exploded, partly by what we have done and partly by other people. <laughs> little little swipe at Alan Klein, presumably. <laughs> and partly by other people. <laughs> we are individuals, all different. John married Yoko. I married Linda. We didn't marry the same girl. Okay. <laughs> uh, that's true. <laughs> no arguing with that. <laughs> yeah. That's, even by Paul's standards, that's an amazingly weird thing to say. It's so weird. <laughs> it is completely <laughs> in the eye of the beholder. Like, this is a Rorschach test of a statement honestly like this might be beyond comprehension it's so strange but let's go ahead and give it a go so what is paul's point in bringing up their marriages probably the most cynical take would be that paul is blaming yoko for the breakup oh but it you know if you're inclined to think that he thinks that but he doesn't Mm -hmm. say that at all no he says john and i are not the same person we're individuals like to me that sounds like the thrust of what he's saying Mm -hmm. i guess the question is is he drawing a distinction between linda and yoko or between him and john we didn't marry the same girl could could mean we made different choices right we chose different partners yes that must say something about us us yeah like maybe even we wanted different things It reminds me of John's 1971 quote from the St. Regis interview when the interviewer asks him, so you think with Linda, he's found what he wanted? And John says, I guess so, I guess so. I just don't understand. I never knew what he wanted in a woman because I never knew what I wanted. Yeah, Paul actually could be saying something here true because if we if we think of yoko and linda as sort of manifestations of john and paul's desires like what uh-huh. they want out of their adult lives post Beatles, mm-hmm. they are kind of very different they're not yeah. but they are you know yeah and this is just for the sake of conversation obviously when our people and not male fantasies mm-hmm. made flesh um, correct i mean yoko and linda have actually a ton in common they both come from, you know, wealthy backgrounds. They went to good schools. Mm-hmm. They were a bit artist. their parents. <laughs> they're, they're artists. They're both Divorce, moms. Divorces with one daughter. <laughs> yeah. 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 They're very, very much alike, actually. But I guess maybe you could say as wives, they're different. I think they fulfill a similar functions, but I think their methods are very different. What about this, read? John and I are no longer together because we're with these different women Mm -hmm. like is he actually kind of obliquely (laughs) addressing the elephant in the room right sometimes it's you can't tell is he saying something normal and obvious but just in a really weird (laughs) really weird way or is the actual thing he's trying to say a weird thing right is he saying something explosive and masking it in normal language Uh or is he just awkwardly saying something really pedestrian exactly yeah the longer i study him i i lean more towards the first yeah me too okay so so maybe paul is saying we chose different paths and our wives are different from each other in a way that reflects the differences between john and i although we could spend a great deal of time Comparing and contrasting Wendan Yoko, let's just just put that aside for a moment. Yeah. What if this is an allusion to this idea that we hear from both of them and moving forward of growing up and starting separate families without each other? Yeah. But then again, the question is, why does that have to split them apart from each other? It would have been so much less weird if he just followed the thought and said, I married Linda, John married Yoko, we didn't marry each other. Yeah, yeah, that actually would, well, we wouldn't have to like ponder that and parse it out, it's pretty straightforward, right? Yeah, it would be like, well, that's a reasonable metaphor. But when he adds this, the same girl nonsense, all that does is serve to highlight the quote for us and raise our eyebrows and make us think about it more it's like that saying in politics it's not the scandal that gets you it's the cover-up <laughs> and if that weren't a sensitive issue he would just say it do you know what i mean Mm-hmm. yeah i could see that so he has to go with this same girl ridiculousness which just sort of muddles the message mm-hmm. <sighs> well okay so i have a, i actually have a lot of thoughts like you said what does getting married and starting families have to do with the band? Like, why can't you still be in a band? Plenty of band people, (laughs) plenty of rock stars uh, have families. I mean, Mm -hmm. yes. uh, And other professionals uh, Yes, work closely together. (laughs) Right, have families. So it's, the premise is kind of absurd. There's an argument that, well, John was so committed to Yoko as a human being and a wife and a partner that she was his everything and so he had no more room for a band and and that from that point on all relationships that weren't Yoko like all human beings that aren't Yoko are considered like a juvenile distraction from his real Mm -hmm. purpose Mm -hmm. in life or whatever and um Most people don't support that nowadays, but I do see it kind of pop up still. Like when Get Back came out, I did see somebody wrote an article about how Paul McCartney was at the Get Back era, that he was addicted to being in bands because he loves playing with the boys so much. Like it's Boys Night Out or something and how that's immature. Juvenile. Juvenile, exactly. Which... I hate for several reasons. Okay. First of all, I I think it's just as problematic for your marriage to be a substitute for all other human interaction in your life. Yes. That is not healthy at all. Mm -mm. It's not romantic and I don't think it's cute. (laughs) Okay. Mm -mm. And it places an extraordinary burden on your spouse. Yes. Secondly, like it really degrades and demeans friendships mm-hmm. and just same-sex relationships of all kinds. Like, like same-sex relationships are not of lesser value than opposite sex ones. Friends not... are not of less lesser value than romantic ones. Creative relationships are not of lesser value than other professional ones. Yeah. Friendship is not a stopgap until you find a mate correct yeah although i'm sure arthur janov would disagree well that's what i'm saying i like that that argument is pretty homophobic yep and it's the reason why you know men die alone because they don't know how to cultivate and maintain friendships like we know that now right Mm -hmm. yeah you know for the for the good of your mental and social health it's important to maintain friendships and other relationships outside of your spouse. Mm -hmm. That's kind of a no-brainer in this era, right? Yeah. I understand how you could twist it to be like a pro-feminist kind of thing. Like that's kind of how John and Yoko frame it. Like, oh, Mm -hmm. it's super Mm -hmm. feminist that John has no friends now. (sighs) Right? They do. right? They're just like, well, it's super feminist that he worships Yoko as a goddess who is in control of everything in his life and he has no outside relationships and he has no friends and i disagree i don't think that's feminist. it's not it's not feminist or anti-feminist it's not it has nothing to do with that it's just unhealthy yeah yeah i mean the fact that he sees her as his equal and as the equal of his yes friends and other colleagues that's good yes. that is a, that is progress for sure but that it doesn't necessitate jettisoning those other friends and colleagues yeah right that part has nothing to do with respect for women or whatever right exactly it's just unfortunate yeah so this situation of john and paul where they can't maintain their relationship because their wives are not into it or whatever you know whatever like that's a unique, weird situation that you guys have to deal with. It's not mm-hmm. like, don't quit trying to project that onto the rest of the world. Right? Okay? It's not an issue that other people have, right? Unless right. they're in love with their best friend. Right. Well, and and the idea of of viewing your spouse as an equal isn't so revolutionary now that it dwarfs all other... It's right like, wow he thought that she was his equal that's so amazing and obviously progressive that we're not going to we don't even need to analyze anything else about the relationship that tells yeah. us right there how wonderful it was whereas nowadays it's you know <laughs> it's right. a little less revolutionary yes yeah, just... exactly like the bar is so low and <laughs> exactly when you hear him talk about it it's like jesus christ where's your fucking bar lenin cuz he's like all of a sudden, it was a woman I could actually hold a conversation with. Right. And like, I didn't think her brain was just full of birds chirping or yeah. something. It's like, what? <laughs> Once, what women are yeah. you talking about in your life? Once I reconciled the radical fact that she was a woman. Yeah. <laughs> He's like, I could actually love a woman? <laughs> my like, God. Oh, my God.
0: I don't know. I don't know how it happened. You just realized that she knew everything I knew and more, probably, and uh, that it was coming out of a woman's head, you know. It just sort of bowled me over, you know. And uh, it was like finding gold or something, you know, mm-hmm. to find somebody that you can go and get pissed with and have exactly the same relationship as any mate in Liverpool you'd ever had. But also you could go to bed with him and it could stroke your head when you felt tired or sick. Or depressed, you know, could also be mother. And obviously that's what the male female says, you know, you can take those roles with each other.
1: Again, a nice way to look at that is like, oh, he fell in love with this person, like in a a non-gender way. Like he Mm. Mm -hmm. he likes her as much as he likes men. Right. And he's like, Oh, she also I can also put my thing in her very convenient. Which is how he said it's like it's handy. It's handy to fuck your best friend like that's a literal quote so oh it's like kind of flattering but also very offensive on like several different levels so mm, yeah well and not for nothing but i don't see a whole lot of evidence that john applied his high opinion of yoko to women in general well that's true too like he kind of talks about her like you know Like the classic um... like she's the exception to the rule exactly yeah well he said she's like me in drag which is rude it's it's like oh you're as smart as a man is basically Mm -hmm. what he said it's like fuck you exactly well and i think a lot of that is not even i don't think it's this is let me be careful how i phrase this because uh, of course it is sexist of course it is yes but to an extent, I don't even know how much of that is the Beatles sexism or misogyny and how much of it is just them being so isolated mm-hmm. and, and so insular that they they are fulfilling all of a spouse's needs for each other. I mean, it's more of an insult to Cynthia, really, than any, anything else. <laughs> right? It absolutely is. Yeah. Because that's basically what he's saying. He's like, wow, compared to Cynthia, you're the full package. <laughs> I didn't even know that was possible. Right. Paul is fulfilling all of your spousal needs. Yeah. Or not. Yeah, right. So maybe that's what, I mean, if you're trying to just replace Paul, which you literally said you did with Yoko. Yes. Maybe that's Many the, the problem. Yeah. Many times. In which Yoko says he did. God. <laughs> right. Well, I think she thinks it's flattering. Well, and I think John is trying to flatter her too. Mm-hmm. I mean, he's saying Yoko is as good as Paul. That's the point of saying that. Mm-hmm. To oh, me. she's better than Paul because it's handy to fuck her. <laughs> Not being able to fuck Paul was extremely inconvenient. Let me just say it that. was. <laughs> but I've solved that problem now. Yes, handily. <laughs> made me think of that anecdote where paul was like yelling at the girls in front of his house before his Mm -hmm. wedding night Mm -hmm. what do you want me to do you want me to be some 26 year old queer and not get married yep whoa which is all right all right paul what (laughs) you brought that up that's a non-sequitur paul (laughs) i mean to be fair the 60s were so homophobic that single men past a certain age who were unmarried were absolutely rumored to be gay like that is a real thing that has nothing to do with paul Mm -hmm. ringo even talked about it in 1964 like on the record in reference to himself (laughs) yeah like if he wasn't out photographed with girls the papers would start saying yeah Yeah. are, are they queer so um That's a real phenomenon, even past the '60s. Like there were similar rumors about Warren Beatty and George Clooney for not getting married. Just by being single, that meant had to mean that they were gay or something. Mm -hmm. So we don't know that this has anything to do with John or even with Paul's sexuality. It just sounds personal like he's struggling with something because of it's an outburst you know so exactly if that's what comes out when he's right yes yes oh it sounds like there's something nagging him about it whether it's just external perceptions of his sexuality or an actual internal struggle we can't say although you know if it's an internal struggle then for god's sake How could he not question his own sexuality considering this relationship that he's in with John? How's he not going to? I'm sure that's very confusing. Yeah. Yeah. It's only, it's only, I mean, I say recently, (laughs) talking about Paul McCartney history recently is like the past
0: 25 years. years.
1: (laughs) Yeah. 20, 30 years. So (laughs) relatively recently is when he's gotten way more comfortable saying like sort of romantic things about john so the fact that it took that long tells you that he always felt those things but he wasn't comfortable talking about how beautiful john's hands were and those sorts of things well and yeah and talking about sexuality and stuff like that it's just like totally you know not something he's comfortable talking about at least in public for me the sort of the kicker is that he also during this period is feeling very motivated (laughs) to get married yeah well you could read that either as like um i mean maybe he's just broody you know well i do think he's broody If you think that that is a person who's struggling with his sexuality, then you could easily see that as like, okay, he needs that to confirm or sort of nail down his choice of Mm -hmm. um, heterosexuality or a heterosexual lifestyle or whatever, however you want to put it. Mm -hmm. But at the same time, like if you don't think in those terms, like I'm bisexual, right? So I don't think like that. I just think of people as... You know, different people are different relationships, right?
0: Mm-hmm. So for
1: me, I would look at that and think, well, he's losing the relationship with John. So just makes sense to want to nail down another close relationship. Totally. Regardless of whether it's with a man or a woman, you know? hmm And if he's also reached the point in his life where he's like, I can't be fucking 10 people anymore. I need to really (laughs) choose one person. rein it in. Yeah. And so he's (laughs) like, well, you know, what do I want in a long-term partner? I don't think there's anything weird about him looking for a woman to do that with. (laughs) He likes women. So that's a normal thing. Again, that's me coming from my perspective. I mean, I don't think that being with someone of the opposite sex is just to to try to suppress your gay tendencies. Of course. Yeah, that, that's not what I meant. I know that's not what you meant, but that is what people think. That's true. Uh, so I'm glad we're having this conversation because I feel like that is something a lot of people need to hear. But I think it's the same with John. John is on the rebound too. Like John is flailing and struggling to find, to bond with somebody else too. Mm-hmm. Like what he does with Yoko. I don't think him getting with yoko is just him proving to himself he's not gay you know what i'm saying no it's because he needs someone it's because he needs somebody exactly yeah so i don't think you know either of these women are unnatural choices for them i think they're perfectly natural good choices for both Mm -hmm. of them it's just they're coming out of a same sex relationship and going into opposite sex relationships Well, that's just how it is but again that doesn't seem weird to me at all but a lot of people look at that as if as if they're lying sure they need beards right right, right. Which yeah. we just want to be very clear that we don't think that that is the case no not that there's anything wrong with that kind of relationship either if you know if as long as both parties are willing and yeah and and if it works for them a lot mm -hmm. of people have had to do that well and if we're talking about relationships that aren't allowed to exist at this time then it's not a lie to you know to not be open about it of course that's not their fault that's our fault yeah so you know we can't say exactly what it means but i think we have plenty of evidence that this relationship messed them both up for the rest of their lives it totally did it It really did did. yeah so even if john was the only man that paul ever had feelings for that would still change him of course yeah so if this relationship with John or his feelings about John or whatever are causing Paul confusion about himself, then that would be very lonely, especially because they're not working through it together. That's true. Oh, that's true. If you have a weird, undefined, special relationship, as long as the other person is there and kind of giving you permission, like, yes, this is normal. It's fine then you can be okay with it but once they're broken up then they're both on their own to deal with it and and i'm not putting that on john either because of course not because we don't know what happened i mean maybe john wanted to talk about it we don't know right of course although we do know (laughs) that after may of 68 once john starts dating yoko they are no longer supporting each other through this because Mm. john is refuses to be alone in a room with paul after that yeah so there's no way that they're talking through what this relationship has done to them no and their uh, their um, ability to have intimacy with each other is totally is annihilated exactly which would be lonely especially like if it's something private that there's really nobody else understands all of a sudden that person is gone and you're sort of left holding the bag emotionally yeah yeah and not only is there no one there to help you personally there's not really any rubric out there right there's no playbook right and obviously like they're not the first uh, you know they're not the well, first of two not. people in history who have you know had inconvenient <laughs> feelings for each other or whatever but of course not but it's illegal or was until extremely recently right mm-hmm. and it's still very dangerous and it's not well understood
0: mm-hmm.
1: and you know possible they don't have any confidants or role models to work them through it you know exactly they're kind of lost and vulnerable is my point yeah and you know john is about to get some really really bad guidance from arthur Oh, yes which again just speaks to i think how vulnerable he is yeah and desperate so if you have like a relationship that is that even maybe you don't even understand completely or can't process or can't label or can't figure out how to explain,, mm-hmm. then you can't talk about it with anybody else, no. Nope. And it's also like you're famous, and people ask you about it all the time, so that makes it so much worse. It's like, what am I going to say about this? yeah, i I haven't even figured it out myself. I don't even know. No wonder, Paul went fucking hiding. <laughs> yeah the irony is that people are obsessed with your relationship right (laughs) they're gonna ask really prying questions about how you're getting along and like yeah we want you to be happy but we don't want you to be too happy yeah right or you'll disappoint the world yeah but if things are too good then we we might kill you yes have fun working that out and not telling anybody Oh my god and he didn't have like a counselor or anybody he could talk to nope oh my god when you think about all that it's easy to see why john and paul were so slavishly devoted yes to, and loyal to yoko and linda for the rest of time yoko becomes john's guru his new guru and savior not for nothing but she's she's aware whatever john's you know Uncomfortable relationship with his sexuality or with his feelings about Paul. She's well aware of those. Oh yes, yeah, she knows all about. Well, that's a weird thing too. Is that like it's almost like she's confronting him about it from the get go. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But I she, mean, but she stays with him. Exactly. She still stays with him, and she's she's still loyal and supportive to him. I mean, I guess that goes back to like what is the difference between Linda and Yoko? Like as you said, they fulfill the same roles, but their their methods are very different. Mm-hmm. i mean linda is paul's primary counselor and confidant on top of yeah being lover wife co-parent yeah all those things i mean mm-hmm. he and paul having trust issues yeah him being able to open up to linda and like confide in her about all this is yes.
0: huge
1: so absolutely yeah and to be clear these women should not have had to take those roles with john right. and paul like that is too much yeah they should have had a, a broader sports system but they didn't and sometimes i hear people like oh linda deserves a medal for what she did or whatever like mm-hmm. paul mm-hmm. literally built a statue to this woman yeah like he knows all right so if you're john <laughs> what do you think when you read this We didn't marry the same girl i either know exactly what paul means even though no one else in the world will (laughs) or i want to beat my head against a wall like we said they both make allusions to this we have to break up so that we can move on with our lives and and start families Mm -hmm. without each other so if they both seem conscious that that is the problem Is it possible that this isn't a conversation that they've explicitly had? Hmm. I don't know. That is one of the questions where half of me says, absolutely not, they were incapable of of that. And half of me is like, you know what? Maybe they were a lot more open with each other than we think. Maybe they really did talk deeply but maybe that wasn't enough because you would think oh well if if they just talked everything would have been better and maybe that's true or maybe they did talk and it everything was so intense that it wasn't enough to save anything it's always framed as if john meeting yoko was the first domino but it's not i mean if we're talking about like separate families and stuff like that mm-hmm. Paul and Jane is the first domino. It's not Yoko and John. Yeah. And after Paul and Jane get engaged, John starts talking about having another baby with Cynthia. To me, that is more support that in the India period, like the spring of 68, John is struggling. Like he doesn't Uh know, is he going to double down with Cynthia? Or is he going to blow it all up? Maybe... It's just a little more evidence for the idea of Paul growing closer to a woman means I should grow closer to a woman as well. So maybe that means I should have another baby with my wife. If he thinks Paul and Jane are going to start having babies, then that would be another way yeah, for them to stay together. Yes. Sometimes people push back and they're like, well, Jane and Paul, they weren't a good couple anyway. They weren't, gonna mm-hmm. last or you know or he was still cheating on her so what does that prove and you know it's not about whether or not they were a great match or the mm-hmm. quality of their marriage or any of that stuff no not at all it's just the fact that like if they are going to get married that means they're going to live in the house together mm-hmm. and john doesn't get along with her Exactly john doesn't like her the, and she does not like him. So that's going to be a problem. Any which way, yes. like, regardless of if Paul's cheating on her or whatever, mm-hmm. that's not yeah. the point. She's going to be a major wedge between
0: yes. Paul and John.
1: There, there's yes. no way around that. Things are going to change. Things, Things are definitely going to change. I don't mean this in a nasty way to Yoko at all, but I don't think that she is the impetus for any of that. I think she was in the right place at the right time like i think the de- the decision is more of if i blow up my marriage where am i going mm-hmm. yeah you know and fortunately there was somebody who was interested in him that he was interested in this is how i think john sees it right he's like mm-hmm. oh, okay fine so you're going to get married to jane well then i need to pull my shit together and figure out what what is going on here and then mm-hmm if he's like okay i guess that's the end of us for whatever reason either Mm -hmm. because that was an explicit conversation that they had or it's just an internal thing going on with john either that's the end of what we have going on or that's the end of any possibility of there being something going on whichever however you want to interpret it um that's the end he starts up the thing with yoko and he's like oh actually this turned out really great because now i have somebody that i actually really really dig Uh and is a hundred percent in with me super committed to me in a way that nobody ever has been willing to be with me 24 7 and like i'm hardcore into that i like it yes right?" right um and then when Paul's thing with Jane falls apart, he's like, oh, fuck. Now he's in a situation that he's created, right? And that he mandated. We're going to grow up and and get proper families. That's what I want, John. And I'm that's what I'm going to do. That's and my you're choice. Gonna have, you're going to have to figure out a way to deal with it. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> and, then, and then John does. And then John does. And then Jane's like, I'm out. And Paul's like, oh, fuck. What the fuck? Right? Yeah fortunately for him linda comes along yes and i think maybe by 1969 they're both kind of like okay we made our choices now what we have our wives we've got our new families yeah what does that mean for us does that mean we have to give each other up completely yeah and maybe this has been their holding pattern for the last 18 months Once they got married, the clock was sort of ticking. Like they knew the next thing that they had to do was break up and they're just putting it off. Yeah. Yeah. They know that their relationship needs to come to some kind of resolution. Yes. And they both suspect it's not going to be a happy one. Right. You know, again, the way that John sprung it on Paul was definitely a surprise, (laughs) shockingly hurtful surprise. Yes, But I don't think that he was surprised that they broke up, you know? Well, you just have to look at Paul's music. There's a lot of um, resigned sadness, tender regret. I do feel like after this meeting, he does let go. And I think that he thinks, John doesn't love me anymore or or even he may still love me but he doesn't want me anymore yes yeah right i think he thinks john is ready to move on and i'm not gonna stop him right what basis would i have to do that yeah i mean i can't stop him but also like why would i stop him like why would i stop somebody who doesn't want to be with me right they don't really have a choice because their relationship was unsustainable. Yeah. Once they're married, they're just delaying the inevitable. Mm-hmm. They don't want to do it. But I think they both know that they have to break up. I feel like Paul thinks, John has thrown me in the trash. Like, buy out of my life. I don't want to, mm-hmm. you're done. You're dead to me. And I don't think that that's, I just don't think that that's what John meant. (laughs) But I don't think it's weird that Paul interpreted it that way. No, not at all. So if Paul thinks that John doesn't love him anymore and is over him and has moved on without him, then why would he want to fucking make records with him? You know, if he's like, I don't love you anymore and I don't want a relationship with you at all in any way. However, Mm -hmm. I would like to timeshare an album with you and call it Beatles so that we can make more money. So we can keep breaking in the bucks, yeah. Yeah, right. Mm -hmm. I would be like, oh my God, you're a fucking monster. Yeah. If he doesn't think that that's what John wants now, then everything that happens with the lawsuit would make him think that well if he if he doesn't feel like john loves him that's the sticking point because because that's what just changes the whole thing Mm -hmm. john does act crazy and does do you know sketchy things but Mm -hmm. but we think that he still very obviously loves paul so if you look at it that way, then all this crazy shit John's doing is different. I mean, it doesn't make it okay. Correct. But it's, you know, the motivations are completely different. However, if Paul, based on that divorce meeting and John's behavior there, if if Paul's takeaway is like, wow, so I guess it was fun for him to (laughs) drop kick me and then like watch me bleed (laughs) point and laugh he doesn't fucking love me anymore i guess he's just turned a switch and his evil side is now operating you know like evil john came out yeah and now i'm on the receiving end of every bad thing that i've seen him do to other people that's what's coming down the pike for me now shit yeah yeah just like cynthia yes so if that was if that was the case i wouldn't take his calls either i'd be like you need to stay the fuck away from me i don't not interested in anything you have to say yeah oh my god and john has has turned george and ringo against paul yes like against cynthia yes (gasps) and john unilaterally i mean he yes he got somehow got george and ringo to side with him and Uh, So now that it's a three against one situation, but but it was maneuvered by John. In 1970, he admits, I maneuvered to get Klein into Apple. Yes, he says he did a job, and so did Yoko. Right? Mm -hmm. John maneuvered to put all of Apple in the hands of Paul's antagonist. Just thinking about that makes me want to have a nervous breakdown. Yeah, like that is... That feels like you're high and the cops are banging on your door. (laughs) Like that that is the worst (laughs) fucking feeling. I can't even imagine. Yeah. I would have a nervous breakdown too. That alone. Yeah. That alone, even without the whole love thing. Right. Which is on top of everything else just makes you feel, I mean, there is nothing like having your heart broken. No. It's painful, and it's like, you feel like an asshole. Yes. You just feel humiliated by the whole thing. (sighs) Yeah. So, yeah, it makes complete sense to me that in that situation, Paul wants nothing to do with John. He runs and hides. Maybe it was easier to take John's um, acting out in the past because Paul knew, no matter how much John treated him like an enemy, kind of, in his moments of lashing out, Paul knew that he himself always still had the role of John's partner and protector. Mm-hmm. But now John has someone else in those roles. Right, so it's like, well, I'm of no use to him anymore. Is he going to dispose of me now? Yeah. Yeah he has yoko and he's like she can do everything you can do and more (laughs) yes she's extremely convenient i mean now in fairness john didn't say in the divorce meeting i don't love you anymore no you know it's just that's that's what it feels like from john's point of view maybe if like if he'd heard paul's side or like paul's point of view he might have been like "Whoa, that's ridiculous how the fuck could he think I don't love him? Does he Mm. know me? What the fuck, Paul? (laughs) You know, like, he might have a completely different reaction to that. So that might not be what he's thinking at all. And I think this is a prime example of how miscommunication is causing huge problems. Mm -hmm. Which is not to say that all their problems necessarily could have been fixed with a conversation, but I do truly believe that the single biggest obstacle is that they both think he doesn't love me anymore. So if you've got two insecure, needy, highly sensitive men (laughs) who are constantly reacting to each other, things are gonna get misconstrued and they're going to escalate quickly and spin out of control. When people are acting emotionally, that's what happens. Yep. And when the stakes are so high and they're on and they're playing it all out on the world stage and they're competitive with each other. Yes. Okay. So back to Paul's Life magazine interview from November 7th. (laughs) That was (laughs) what we were talking about. (laughs) As as I'm sure you'll all recall, (laughs) as far as his quote that the Beatles thing is over that's clear right that's not ambiguous am i crazy or is he absolutely announcing the beatles breakup it's i mean he couldn't be more clear right i mean he said it pretty blatantly right there the beatles thing yeah. is over yeah this is way more explicit than the mccartney album press release one different interpretation i've read is that he's saying Beatle mania is over but uh, no yeah, I don't agree with that interpretation. Beatlemania has been exploded. That doesn't make sense. No, it's he's definitely saying that the Beatles are over. Okay, so this comes out in Life magazine. Nobody really makes it a headline. Nobody runs with it. Nobody starts running stories of like Paul McCartney has quit the Beatles, or which is know. so wild, like <laughs> obscure, little-known magazine Life. Yeah, I don't even Magazine. understand. How... I guess no one read it. That part is strange. But more importantly, why doesn't John immediately react to this article? It's, it's just an unanswered question here. It, it's actually an unasked question, but definitely John read it. right, And it says very clearly in there, the Beatles thing is over. So my question is, if John is chomping at the bit, to announce his departure from the beatles and he's only refraining to do so to please alan klein once paul has ripped the band-aid off why doesn't john take advantage of that and go out and say like oh well since paul has let the cat out of the bag let me tell you the beatles are broken up and what's what's gonna happen? Alan Klein is gonna get mad at him. He's gonna say, "Well, what, Alan? This isn't me. Paul is the one who spilled the beans." It's I true. just I'm just going out there and clarifying that just so y'all know, it was me who broke the band up. Paul just happened to be the one who to let it slip. Well, to please Alan Klein would not be enough motivation. But what if Klein has told him that there will be material repercussions? Then why is it- people find out too soon, I guess, that they're breaking up, I don't know. Okay, but, well, uh, for, first of all, the, sh- the ink has long dried on that contract. Well, that's, yeah. That's I mean, where my brain was going. The The initial reason to keep it secret was for the contract, but the contract is signed. Which makes this so, whole argument stupid. Like, what is what, what are they being- quiet for they signed the fucking thing on september 20th that had to be certified or whatever like the next day or something what what sure. are we waiting for that's always my point is like if this was real if john wanted to announce it he would say <laughs> okay fine When are we going to do it then? are we waiting until let it be comes out fine Mm -hmm. then let's get a thing in order in fact we could combine it with our press from let it be we could be like this is actually our last album you know whatever none Mm -hmm. of that ever happened like none of that planning ever happened yep which makes me think that it was bullshit it wasn't gonna happen anyway that he was not eager to split or to announce that they were gonna split exactly he's trying like hell to push cold turkey right now right Hmm? he even made that joke about like yeah i'm returning my mde (laughs) because it was slipping down the charts right so he could combine publicity for gold turkey if we're to believe him and lennon remembers he does regret not doing that yeah but but why but but he still doesn't do it he's like oh right yeah i like it didn't occur to him or something it didn't occur to him yeah when he's on tv every single day and innumerable opportunities to announce this well, if it didn't occur to him, then how eager is he to make this announcement? Exactly, yes. If it was me, that would be the number one thing I would be concerned about. I would have yeah. a plan. I would be planning my announcement the whole time, at least with Alan Klein, if not with, with Paul. And, and sure. also if Paul fucked up my plan by talking to Life Magazine, I'd be like, what the fuck, McCarty? Who do you think you are announcing this, right? Mm-hmm. Why doesn't he do that? We have no record whatsoever of John getting mad about this. Well, he does nothing. He does I fucking mean, nothing. For yes. three weeks. He, as he, you say, and maybe that's a coincidence, but it, it is pretty interesting. Well, for one thing, three weeks would be just about the right amount of time for him to be sure that no reporter is going to ask him about it in his next interview. That's right. So if he doesn't want to comment on it, That'd be a good reason to stay out of the public eye, if we're to believe that John was, you know, eager to leave and eager to announce that he had left. He could have easily capitalized. Absolutely, he could have on this interview and then blamed it on Paul. Right. Instead, he says nothing. In fact, he's unusually silent about (laughs) it. I, I would assume that that he chewed on this for a little bit because because I've been unable to find any interviews or appearances from John and Yoko for three weeks after this which in this era is pretty rare for them yeah that's a long time they don't take breaks for anything they didn't even take a break for Yoko's miscarriage she had a yeah miscarriage on October 13th and they were doing publicity a week later so um which I'm not judging by the way I'm just no, saying no, no. you know they're committed they are very committed they are very public and for them to just take a break for three weeks is you know again i don't know why maybe they were busy doing something else but we don't hear from john for three weeks and then on november 27th he finally returns to public view when he returns his mbe and gives an interview about it from his mansion at tittenhurst and then in early december John and Yoko are filmed extensively by the BBC over a five day period for a television documentary titled 24 hours, the world of John and Yoko. So they do the MBE thing, then they're being filmed for this BBC special, which is just like a, you know, the day, a day in the life of John and Yoko kind of, they're just like following them around. Yeah, they do Mm -hmm. stuff. Yes, fortunately, uh, we
0: both agree. Unfortunately, not always. (laughs) But in the end, (laughs) we get into something and forget that we never disagreed. Fortunately, I met you at the right time. (laughs) Unfortunately, that's right. (laughs) But uh, in the end, I wonder what's going to happen. Fortunately, we don't know. Fortunately, um, I'm in love with you. Unfortunately, I'm in love with you, too.
1: (laughs) The next big interview we have is from December 13th with Alan Smith. This is for NME Magazine. Again, this is published December 13th, so probably... Conducted a couple days before. This is a very interesting interview. It's the first time John has spoken about Paul, as far as we can tell, as far as our research shows, since Paul's Life magazine interview, which was again on November 7th. I mean, maybe he was mentioned in passing if somebody asked, like, how are the other Beatles? They're fine. But this is like the first big discussion about the Beatles for a while. And John suddenly has a lot to say (sighs) Alan Smith writes he was pleasant together straightforward mellow and resolute and only in references to Paul did his voice drop in doubt which Mm. is in and of itself hello (laughs) (laughs) he told me Paul and I have differences of opinion on how things should run but instead of it being a private argument about how an LP should be done or a certain track it's now a larger argument about the organization of Apple itself. Whether we both want the same thing from Apple in the end is a matter of opinion, but how to achieve it, that's where we digress. Mainly we disagree on the Klein bit, but you know I don't really want to discuss Paul without him here. It's just that as far as I can see, Paul was always waiting for this guy to just appear and save us from the mess we were in, and we were in a mess, and only my saying it in the press that time, enabled Klein to hear about it and come over. I'm a quarter of this building and it became a question of whether I should pull my money out of it if I could, which I probably can't. I did say I wanted out at one time. It was just that all my income was going into Apple and being wasted by the joyriding people who were here. In fact, that was just the minute bit of it. I just wanted it to stop. First of all, I'm sorry, John, Can I rewind that tape? Did you say Paul was always waiting for a guy to just appear and fix everything? (laughs) Okay. We're projecting today. Okay. (laughs) The other thing is John saying he wanted to pull his money out of Apple at one time. Like it was just a moment of frustration. That's really Mm -hmm. revealing to me. Well, and that it was about money, not about creative differences. That too. And it didn't even have anything to do with you. I think the subtext of what he's saying is remember how I said I wanted to pull my money out of Apple? I didn't mean that shit either. I was just frustrated. If I did say I wanted out at one time about something even less significant, right? The time I said I wanted out of the Beatles, I don't even remember that. And how about that Alan Klein brag? John's like, I did us <laughs> Up all a to the- favor. I went out in public and said, our stock is falling. Can any vultures come in at this moment right now? That'd be great. And he's like, thank God, I'm the good businessman in the family. (laughs) If it wasn't for me, Alan Klein never would have come. (laughs) And attached his fangs to our necks. And the other thing is, what's implied by saying, I did say I wanted out one time. Is that, but now I don't. Yes. I feel more confident that things are going to work out now. Mm -hmm. And he keeps going. He has a lot more to say. Yeah. So then he goes on. The Beatles split up. It just depends how much we all want to record together. I don't know if I want to record together again. I go off and on it. I really do. The problem is that in the old days, when we needed an album, Paul and I got together and produced enough songs for it. Today, there's three of us writing prolifically and trying to fit it all into one album. Or we have to think of a double album every time, which takes six months. That's the hang-up we have. It's not a personal, the Beatles are fighting thing, so much as an actual physical problem. What do you do? I don't want to spend six months making an album I have two tracks on. And neither do Paul or George, probably. That's the problem. If we can overcome that, maybe it'll sort itself out. None of us want to be background musicians most of the time. It's a waste. We didn't spend 10 years making it to have the freedom in the recording studios to be able to have two tracks on an album. It's not like we spend our time wrestling in the studio trying to get our own songs on. We all do it the same way. We take it in turns to record a track. It's just that usually in the past, George lost out because Paul and I are tougher. It's nothing new the way things are. It's human. We've always said we've had fights. It's no news that we argue. I'm more interested in my songs, Paul's more interested in his, and George is more interested in his. That's always been. This is why I've started working with the Plastic Ono and working with Yoko, to have more outlet. There isn't enough outlet for me in the Beatles. The Ono Band is my escape valve. And how important that gets as compared to the Beatles for me, I'll have to wait and see. Oh my God. Okay, there's so much. (laughs) It's great to hear these interviews read aloud. I feel like they make more of an impact when you hear them. Well, he's being extremely level-headed about what the conflict is and giving everyone maximum benefit of the doubt. Yeah, which does indicate to me that he's very much willing to negotiate and he wants to make things work yes first of all he says none of us wants to be a background musician most of the time it's a waste I don't want to have two tracks on an album I spend six months waiting for okay oh this is uh, it's making me sad it's nothing new the way things are it's human we've always had fights it's no news that we argue yeah that to me is him just totally like it's not that big a deal it's okay yeah we've had fights before don't blow this up into blow this out of proportion yep because they did have those talks they did have at least the ones we know about in the flower pot and then the 4442 meeting where john is telling paul that he doesn't want his arrangements and that he feels that paul is overbearing so maybe here he's he's trying to say look that wasn't anything worse than anything else we've ever been through like that was just that was just par for I wasn't saying I hate working with you. And if you're going to work with people creatively, especially on a super high level like this, you're going to have to step on each other's toes and hurt each other's feelings. And he's right about that. That is true. He is. It's, yeah. It's, it's interesting, you know, like I I can kind of understand now, John's starting to get impatient and be like, okay, enough, stop pouting. I know I Mm -hmm. said some things, but come on, man. Before, I I was always like, how in the world can you think Paul is sulking and pouting? We know that he's drinking himself half to death going through this horrible time and stuff like that. I mean, on the other hand, I'm like, John, you said I want a divorce in a room full of people. Like, you can't blow that off and be like, "Eh, you know how I am. I didn't mean it. Like, you've got to go and make things right with him. You're going to have to do better than that this time. You can't say, it, you know, we've always had fights. It's, it's no news that we are. Here. <laughs> Although I do think that that is what he's trying to say. And I do think he's hoping that that's going to be enough. But I think he is deeply underestimating how much he hurt Paul. Yeah. And and like you say, he doesn't know that Paul is also dealing with other things that have that have landed him in a depression. Yes. He has no idea. And he literally cannot call him. <laughs> Yeah. And that right there tells you something about where Paul's head is. That he doesn't want to be reached? Yep. That maybe part of him doesn't want to give John the chance to walk it back. At least not yet. Here's what I am even more interested in, probably. Talking about Plasticono. That he calls it an escape valve. Not the new best, shiniest thing in my life where I'm now going to pour all of my energy and good riddance. Not... This is my new band. They're an escape valve because the Beatles are not large enough. They're not a sufficient outlet. Not because the Beatles are unsatisfactory or flawed in some way. Right, like he's saying it's more of a quantity issue than a quality issue. Exactly. And he literally says how important Ono Band gets as compared to the Beatles for me, I'll have to wait and see. So he's literally saying the Beatles are more important than ono band yes this is a contemporaneous direct quote from john in december of 1969 can we please stop saying that yoko replaced paul in may of 1968 and by the way i get what he's saying i think that's fair Absolutely, i can relate to it as somebody who works really fast and doesn't like committees and Mm -hmm. bureaucracy you know like (laughs) likes to get things out quickly i i get that when john and paul can work quick and dirty a la ballad of john and yoko Mm -hmm. john is into that too yeah right yep so if he's saying the beatles is a whole big thing now because there's three giant egos involved and Mm -hmm. three songwriters vying for space and yeah band politics and management disputes and the Beatles are turning into a big hassle and rather than get the band together every time I want to cut a fucking record I can just do it with whoever and put my stuff out right away if that's the appeal of the plastic Ono band then that makes all the sense in the world to me like totally okay there's more John goes on to say cold turkey has got Ringo and me on it and yet on half the Beatles tracks of Abbey Road I'm not on or half the tracks on the double album, and even way back. <laughs> Sometimes there might be only two Beatles on a track. It's got to the situation where if we have the name Beetle on it, it sells. So you get to think, what are we selling? Do they buy it because it's worth it, or just because it says Beatles? George is in the same position. I mean, he's got songs he's been trying to get on since 1930. He's got to make an album of his own. And maybe if he puts Beatles on the label rather than George Harrison, it might sell more. That's the drag. Of course, we could each make an album and call it the Beatles, but that would be cheating. And that's not my scene. Oh my god. (laughs) Four, 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 two, who? Yeah, right. (laughs) I'm not a cheater. It's not my scene. It is what I pitched, but uh, I don't stand by it. Have you met me? <laughs> <laughs> uh, he is such a funny human being. Oh, my God. I, I love how he's complaining about he's not on half the Abbey Road tracks. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, because you were lying in bed. Is he complaining or is he bragging that he's on not on half the track? <laughs> well, I think he's conveniently using that fact to bolster his argument. <laughs> I, I don't think John's being a shit bag here and he's like i never said 442 i think he's saying look paul fine the 442 idea is not good and you're right but we have to figure out a way forward so yeah you know if you have a better idea I would love to hear it. And I'm sure you do have a better idea because you have great ideas and you've gotten us <laughs> out of many jams before. <laughs> this is subtext because I'm not going to say it to your fucking smart I- ass face. It's <laughs> ah! <laughs> yes, not that I could if I wanted to, because I don't know where you are. <laughs> I feel like that's a sort of a mea culpa to Paul where he's like, listen, I was just trying to come up with a solution, okay? You don't want to have two songs on an album that you're going to put your blood, sweat and tears into. I get it. Yeah. So the argument that paul should have just gone along with the 4442 idea and if he had done it everything would have been fine i mean clearly paul didn't even have to object to it because paul just kind of went meh and john himself two months later is like okay well maybe that's not going to work so john says i don't want to spend six months making an album i have two tracks on so I can see an argument that here he is still saying I don't want to have just two tracks. As him saying I want more than two tracks. So maybe I want four tracks. Yeah, so you could say that that's consistent. Well, I will concede that he is still flagging it as an issue, which it is. Yeah, which it is. Yes, that I agree. I that I agree that it is an issue. I just don't think that four 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 two is. Well, I don't think that's a cure-all solution to it Uh, personally, and then B, I really don't know how, how much John and George believe in this idea either, because it sounds like John is saying like, look, this was just the best I could come up with. The whole 444 idea is so difficult to parse out because so much hinges on what exactly John and George are proposing, which we don't really know. Because on the one hand, if the idea is that they go in with the understanding that at the end of the day, they'll each have four songs on the album, but all the Beatles have to agree on which four and everyone gets to contribute ideas and then sign off on the final product, then that's one thing that could totally have worked, I think. Because all that is, is just, let's just make sure that George has enough space. That's literally all that means. Otherwise it's exactly the same nothing has changed and and we all know that going in and we don't have to bother with any you know nonsense about well you know john and paul think their songs are better than george's therefore george's get bumped like that that's not even they don't have to worry about that but that's more of a return to form like let's make sure that we're all invested and we're all playing on the on the out that's going in the exact opposite direction of how things have been going Exactly. Yeah, it's a reining in of the sort of fracturing that's been happening. So if if that's what they're proposing, that's great. I think that that definitely might have worked. But and this is usually how I, I people um, commenters commentators talk about it. If the idea is that everyone just gets their allotted space, no questions asked, no vetoes allowed. John can put 10 minutes of what's the new Mary Jane on his section of the album. Paul can put a 10-minute wild honey pie on with Linda drumming if that's what he wants to do. (laughs) No one can say boo about it. That would be a disaster. And we just have no way of knowing which idea John and George are proposing, and neither did Paul, probably. And that's why he's just not, not responding. It would be a disaster, but it would also be kind of funny. <laughs> It'd be just like the whole album would just be one big pissing contest. Uh, it would yes. be more annoying. I mean, it would be a hilarious disaster. <laughs> <laughs> it would be it's so highly amazing. entertaining. <laughs> it's like the jam rag whatever on one side, <laughs> and then like oh, extended yeah. bit bop. <laughs> Fifteen. <minutes. laughs> mm-hmm <laughs> and i think and i think when john and george bring up maxwell that's kind of what they're saying they're like well we're already there paul none of us liked maxwell and it's still <laughs> got on the album so you know if that's good for the goose if you're the goose then it's good for us ganders too yeah that's that's their perspective i think anyway which is, both, is which is both fair right and bitchy Like exactly (laughs) it's kind of a a dick way to say it but they have a point yeah Yeah, they do yeah my point always is that it's mood because we never even got here like this is not what they're arguing about to me this is just a sort of distracting side issue I mean it's a fun what if Mm -hmm. but again like just take your favorite checks as people have done since time immemorial (laughs) Like just take all your favorite solo tracks from 1970 Mm -hmm. and make a compilation. And that's the Beatles album you would have gotten. So who cares? What do you care? Yeah, that's true. Yeah. We already have that album. If they're not even agreeing to continue as a band, this is moot Beatles history or whatever gets hung up on all these fucking things that, I mean, I understand why, but our whole point is that, you can dissect and discuss all that stuff to death but if you're missing the main driver of the story which is the relationship between these two Mm -hmm. it's you're you're arguing about details that don't matter it's kind of a dead issue after the meeting yeah and george never mentions it either george says it was kind of a joke that's how he referred to it in 1970 oh really yes this is George's quote when he's still saying, by the way, that like, it's selfish for the Beatles to not make another record and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. So he's asked, how was it decided how many songs you would have on a Beatles album? Is it like whoever pushed and shoved the hardest? And George said, yeah, it's always, it was whoever would be the heaviest would get the most songs done. so consequently, I couldn't be bothered pushing like that much. <laughs> and then... Uh, little further on he says you know it was just difficult to get in there and i wasn't going to push and shout but it was just over the last year or so we worked something out which is still a joke really three songs for me three songs for paul three songs for john and two for ringo and then they laugh the reporter goes why did ringo only get two george says well because that's fair isn't it that's what you call being fair so speaking of that, speak, speaking of George Oh, my Lord. I can't decide. John's saying, I don't want to spend six blah, 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 blah. And I have two tracks on it. And then he talks about other albums where he only had two tracks on an album. That's not John's problem. <laughs> that, has, that, that has never happened to John. That's George's predicament. So I, I can't decide if John is being more sympathetic to and trying to like voice George's point of view you know obliquely or if he's just being clueless and appropriating (laughs) appropriating George's experience thoughtlessly like I don't want to be the George of this situation yeah (laughs) the way things are going that might happen it's okay when it's happened to George but no way am I doing that yeah right well, maybe that is what he's saying because he knows he's not, he's not creating as much. Like Paul and George are both writing a shit ton of songs. That's true. So if you take that portion of John's interview in and of itself, it's not inconsistent with 4442. But when he goes on later and talks about how it would be cheating to just slap the name Beatles on <laughs> anything that any of them produce, whether or not there's input from the others, that that would be cheating. Right. That's where it definitely seems to indicate that 4442 was, if not a joke exactly, then maybe not something completely serious. I agree. And I think the rest of his interview supports that idea that, it, that he doesn't think it's a cure-all and he's acknowledging that specifically for Paul's ears. That's my mm-hmm. opinion based on the totality of this fucking whole interview.
0: Mm-hmm. However,
1: if that that one extract about about not wanting two two songs on the album mm-hmm. if that <laughs> isolated quote was not open to interpretation then we wouldn't have the narrative that we have right that's true right? so everybody is capable of cherry picking and using whatever they want to support their argument sure <laughs> i mean we're not we're not breaking any news here Yeah, that's what people do especially if you have if you have a solid narrative that you're trying to support of course you find things to support your narrative Mm -hmm. of course and 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 we're we're acknowledging here like there is a different way to interpret that it's just we're making the case for our interpretation right i think this is more consistent with his general like sort of uh careful (laughs) backpedaling i think at this point though john wants them all to do solo albums Mm -hmm. like we saw in get back when when george says i think i should do a solo album and then john and yoko are both like yeah you should do it like i think john believes yeah we should all do solo albums and that will only make the beatles better and by the way he's right yeah they do have legitimate issues as a band that they have Mm -hmm. to overcome if they're going to move forward like that it that's not a made-up problem that's a real problem and if they were to continue they'd have to address it and they'd have to figure out what would be the best way to you know move forward but again i think that the fact that he's bringing this up in detail and he's telegraphing to paul don't take the fighting to heart i definitely think that he is saying we have to figure it out and well he's he's suggesting a solution again here I will put my overflow into Plasticono. Right. So you, so you don't have to be attached to the cold turkeys. Just the fact that he's trying to negotiate means he wants to negotiate. Means he wants right. to continue this. Like, Why would he even bother <laughs> spelling all this out and talking it through mm-hmm. if he's not invested in making up and moving forward and continuing as the Beatles? To me, that just seems obvious.
0: This song's about pain.
1: The next clip we have is from December
0: 21st. How do the other Beatles feel about your peace campaign? Well, I've never probed them about how they felt. I've left that to the press, you know. And, like, when I gave my MBE back, I hope the press put enough pressure on them to give theirs back. They didn't. <laughs> Maybe next time. You know, and they, they're they individuals, so they react individually to what I'm doing. I do not I can't, sort of, give you a a short sentence of how they react, but I'm I think sure Ringo is doing his bit in the films he makes. He's chosen films, specific films to make. His latest film, The Magic Christian, will be pleased to hear me talking about, is a, it shows the money syndrome, you know, it's the, it's the Magic Christian, a lot of people know it, and it's about a guy who buys people with money, anybody, and that's a way of selling something. And In other I words, think they George and Paul would do they it. The music. With your no, no. They might disagree with the 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 way, the particular way I do that performance, if the performance is a one kind of piece gimmick or campaign. But the the message they don't disagree with.
1: The reason I thought this particular clip was important is because it undermines the idea that there is a big disagreement with John and the other Beatles over peace. Like obviously none of them disagree with the sentiment or the intention, even if they aren't totally on board with John and Yoko's particular gimmickry. The next interview is from December 23rd. This is two days after John's last one and there's still been no response from Paul. So John opens up a bit more. Now he's a little impatient, a bit more stressed and his words are more pointed. He says to Richie York, I was really losing interest in just doing the Beatles bit, and I think we all were, but Paul did a good job in holding us together for a few years while we were sort of undecided about what to do, you know, and I found out what to do, and it didn't really have to be with the Beatles. It could have been if they wanted, but it got that I couldn't wait for them to make up their minds about peace or whatever, about committing themselves. It's the same as the songs, so I've gone ahead and I'd have liked them to have come along. York asks, did you ever try to get them into the peace scene? I did a little at first, but I think it was too much like Yoko and me and what we're doing and trying to get them to come along. And I think they reacted. I hassled them too much, so I'm really leaving them alone. Maybe they'll come along, wagging their tails behind them. And if not, good luck to them. Okay so let me just go out on a limb here and say that i don't think john is talking about the peace movement at all he's not talking about the peace or whatever movement yeah yeah exactly i couldn't (laughs) wait for them to make up their minds afterthought about peace or whatever or whatever about committing themselves (laughs) okay whatever and then the guy's like did you try to get them into the peace scene to get them into the peace scene. So now he has to go along with the premise, right? That he's created. Yeah, I did a little at first, but it was too much like yoko and me, what we're doing and trying to get them along. I think they reacted. Who reacted? Yeah. Who reacted? I hassled them too much, so I'm really leaving them alone. Who are you leaving alone? George, who you just played at the Lyceum Ballroom with or Ringo? Mm. Who did you hassle too much? Who are you leaving alone? Maybe they'll come along, wagging their tails behind them. And if not, good luck to them. Oh my God, somebody's upset now. <laughs> Who is he not hassling? Who is he out of touch with? Who isn't taking his calls? Well, and like, what is he talking about the peace scene? How? When did well, he ever hassle Paul to get into the peace scene? To get in the bag. Yes, that's a non existent issue. He never was like, By hey design. guys, come to a bed in with me and Yoko. This is very much his and Yoko's thing. And also, like he just said two days ago, they don't disagree at all. And they're doing it the right way. Mm. More to the point, he literally said, I never probed them about peace. So he's yeah. clearly talking about something else. Mm. I don't think John expects or wants the other Beatles to climb into the bed in or to do the far out stuff with him and Yoko. I think part of him very much wants to separate from them to do those things, like to distinguish himself from them. But I could also see him wanting them to show their support more for what he's doing. I agree with you on that. I mean that seems perfectly reasonable to me yeah to like you know go go to bat for him and Yoko with the press and he did say like uh, the, they didn't return their MBEs maybe they will huh sure so sure. I'm sure. sure if all four Beatles returned their MBEs like that would have made a much bigger statement than if John mm-hmm. had done it by himself you know sure and I'm sure he would have liked that anyone would uh, like that that would feel good i'm not sure he would have liked it but i think he would have liked it mm-hmm. because i do i definitely think that he is very much enjoying being the rebel beetle and the peace beetle and the sure. activist beetle like i think that mm-hmm. he definitely wants that for himself so i don't I don't know i'm just I'm, yeah i'm a little bit skeptical that he really <laughs> is dying for the other beetles to <laughs> to be doing yeah whatever well, he's, he's doing you know what it's entirely possible that he's not really entirely sure why he's so mad either he doesn't sound like he's talking about klein when he says i found out what to do so i've gone ahead he does seem i don't know to be talking about something more more abstract like about yes like his art or something yes i agree with you i agree i think that's what he's talking about i'm just saying that like i don't think it's about peace i don't like i don't think that that's what he's talking about (laughs) i don't think he's like why isn't paul helping voter registration (laughs) drives because john's not doing that well he is not no that's that's the and, and again like i'm not this point is not to like tear down John Lennon as a peace activist, but like he's not doing anything. He's just going on TV talking about peace. Mm -hmm. So why would he care that Paul isn't also on TV in a bag? Yeah. No, I I, but I can see him thinking, why aren't my Beatles talking to the news and saying how great I am and how proud they are of me for doing this? (laughs) Well that I can agree, yes. Yeah. It's not all about Klein Here's maybe the big thing. It's not about him feeling constrained. It's not about him needing to be free to do. Not at all. Not at all. And that's kind of how it's usually framed. If anything, he's not getting support in some way that he wants. They're not letting him lead, maybe. Whatever he thinks that means. Okay. So let me take a traditionalist approach to this okay. quote. Okay. <laughs> okay. So John is saying... Um, if the Beatles had allowed me to take the band in the direction of acorns and black bags and bed ins, that's where we'd be right now. However, they, they weren't necessarily on board with that. So I went ahead and did it with Yoko instead. It's the same as the songs. So I've gone ahead. Okay. So I would have recorded cold Turkey. With the Beatles, but they were hemming and hawing about it. And I got I got impatient. So I just recorded it on my own. Maybe they'll come along, tails behind them. And it could have it could have been if they want it. Any which way you read that, any reading of that, John is still telegraphing. We can still do this together. Yes, we can fix this. Okay. All right. So what about what about saying Paul did a good job?
0: Paul did a good job in holding us together for a few years while we were sort of undecided what to do, you know. And I found out what to do, and it didn't really have to be with the Beatles. It could have been if they wanted. But uh, it got that I couldn't wait for them to make up their mind about peace or whatever, about committing themselves. It's the same as the songs. So I've gone ahead.
1: Clearly a message to Paul. Mm-hmm like a positive one like thanks paul you you did good i think so yeah i can see it as being a bit of a jab but maybe that's just me well i see it as like rubbing the alcohol before the jab okay (laughs) because he's saying yes paul did a good job holding us together but you know what eventually i got tired of waiting around for you so i moved on yeah now what he's talking about what he thinks Paul is dragging his feet on that John isn't that's a different conversation like what is what's he talking about I'm assuming he means Alan Klein yeah getting with the program yeah I definitely feel like he's kind what he's broadcasting here is like this train is still at the station for now it's scheduled to leave though there's still time to hop on but tick 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 exactly yeah (laughs) You better pull yourself together, darling. (laughs) Yeah. yeah. (laughs) He's kind of like puffing out his chest. He's like, I won't be around forever, you know? (laughs) But meanwhile, I'm kind of freaking out right now. (laughs) Yeah. To interrupt the timeline for a moment, this does really remind me of that interview John gave in 1971. That very revealing statement about Paul choosing John over his dad In 1971, when asked why Paul left the Beatles, John responded with a story from 1961. In a nutshell, the Beatles were deported separately from Hamburg in December 1960, meaning they returned to Liverpool separately. And when John got back, he didn't call any of the other Beatles for about a week to let them know that he had returned. He just apparently needed some space or, you know, applying the pattern here. Um, perhaps he needed them to reach out to him. Yeah. Anyway, um, in the meantime, Paul, who couldn't afford not to work, <clears throat> gave in to his dad, whose, whose roof he's living under, and got a factory job. Okay, so in 1971, John told the story like this. But Paul would always give in to his dad. His dad told him to get a job. He fucking dropped the group and started working on the fucking lorries saying, I need a steady career. We couldn't believe it. My aunt Mimi reminded me of this the other night. He rang up and said he'd got this job and couldn't come to the group. So I told him on the phone, either come or you're out. So he had to make a decision between me and his dad then. And in the end, he chose me. But it was a long trip. It's funny he's still mad about it he's still (laughs) (laughs) got a fucking job on the fucking lorries (laughs) (laughs) that's amazing just for the record paul never dropped the group uh he would do lunchtime shows at the cavern on his lunch hour i mean i think he was probably coming in cutting it quick sure and you know maybe the other point we weren't there and we don't have documentation to support this obviously right but maybe he was coming in doing his bit and leaving and not really talking much to john mm-hmm. like maybe that's the crux of the problem is that they yeah. had a stalemate and they weren't vibing you know they were just right. doing the job yeah it wasn't the same he rang up and said he got this job and couldn't come to the group so i don't think that happened i mean according to <sighs> yeah. lewis and it did it never happen yeah so that's just John. Catastrophizing. Catastrophizing, absolutely. Out of, like, out of his jealousy and insecurity. Yes. Like, I believe that's how it felt to him. Yes. Especially if Paul's not really talking to him or it's just like, hey, John, you know, like being kind of cold shoulder. But yeah. Maybe Paul was a little mad that John came home and didn't, you know, didn't call anyone, expected them to reach out to him again that's what i think i think if yeah. paul sensed even a hint of a lack of commitment from john mm-hmm. then he's gonna be like okay fine then i'll get a job and yeah. i'm not gonna put all my eggs in your basket sure in that instance i think the way that john chose to show that he cared and he was committed and he wanted paul to commit was to issue a so-called ultimatum mm-hmm. yeah yeah and depending on your outlook like some people choose to frame that as like oh john was powerful and calling the shots he gave paul an ultimatum and and paul came back but paul came happily you know like paul came skipping back paul didn't go oh oh fuck, i better get back here you know paul didn't run over sweating like i'm sorry john i'll never do it again he like trotted onto stage smugly because you know he had gotten john to to be like come back yeah quit your job like you're scaring me you're freaking me out you know you got him to show (laughs) some emotion yeah no it's not like john was trying to get him to do anything that paul didn't want to do paul wanted to be in the band of course paul didn't lose anything right He hated that job, right? (laughs) That is the biggest empty threat on the planet. It's like Paul spending a career at Massey and Coggins. This is Neil's recollection. John said to Paul on the phone, either fucking turn up today or you're not in the band anymore. And that lunchtime when Paul bounced in, (laughs) hi, and got up on stage with them, John said to him, right? You've given your fucking job. (laughs) So who sounds upset in that scenario? Mm, And who still sounds upset about it? In 1971, 1971. Paul bounces up to the (laughs) stage. Does he sound worried? No. But John being like, I need you to commit is a way of John committing too. So it's like Mm -hmm. they have to both commit and they both want to feel like they have an equal level of commitment. Yeah. Which of course they do. Of course they do, but if one of them is feeling like the other isn't, yeah, then that's when they're going to have these fucking stupid games going on. This is yes. why it's important. That, I mean, John literally uses the word commitment here. I couldn't wait for them to, to make, make up commitment. their minds about committing yeah. themselves. So I issued a fucking ultimatum. And by the way, I'm still waiting. Yeah, well, which at the bare minimum shows that, again, he has not shut the door on the Beatles. Yeah. And by the way, Beatles is a euphemism for Paul here because it's not the right. Beatles. He's, he's yeah. communicating all the time with Ringo and George. Mm-hmm. There's nothing going back and forth about them. That be, again, because he's playing with George at the Lyceum Ballroom. Well, They're doing records together. And <laughs> George and Ringo have committed to Alan Klein. Yeah, that's true. John isn't waiting for a commitment from them. I was talking about this with a friend of mine once. This was a couple of years ago. I said, um, you can't threaten someone with, I want a divorce. You can't just say it and expect nothing to happen. Right. And he said, well, you can say it once. You can say it like to get someone to stop drinking. And I had never really thought about it that way. But yeah, you can say it as an ultimatum to get somebody to change. And I think that's, that's what's going on here. Yeah. In 1971, he specifically volunteered the 1961 ultimatum story when asked about the breakup as a means of explaining the breakup. Right. So John himself is the one who made the connection. He pointed us here for a reason. Yeah, I tried it again. It didn't work this time. (laughs) What more could I have done than threaten Paul? What more could he ask of me than to demonstrate my love by asking for a divorce? John is issuing an ultimatum rather than disengaging because he's not disengaging. (laughs) (laughs) So what's the ultimatum? What does John want from Paul? I guess that's the million dollar question. (laughs) honestly i'm not sure john even knows entirely but i think that in that divorce meeting he's trying to turn the tables and put paul in a weaker position so that he can turn things in his favor he's trying to put a little pressure on paul i think so yeah like when george quits in january 69 john and paul go to him and say okay well what will it take to bring you back and then george uh gets to demand a few changes right sure it doesn't look like george came with demands it looks like he you know he walked out first Mm -hmm. and then john and paul approached him and he was like oh okay i'm in a better position now so he made to negotiate exactly exactly Mm yeah so it makes sense for john to be expecting paul to yes. approach him and say right all right what'll it take yeah what'll it take john i'm listening yes and i definitely think klein is at the top of that list yeah and i i think john's point of view is like paul you've been making all the decisions for the past two or three years let me lead now hmm Let me call the shots for a while, (sighs) but here's where I think John fucked up. He did not say, okay, Paul, here's where I stand. I want to keep the band going, you know, indefinitely. Like we could do it, whatever, but if we're going to continue, I'm going to need Alan Klein to be the manager. And that's my, that's my offer right there. So it's up uh-huh. to you. If you can't, you know, get with it, then then let's call it a day, because this is now non-negotiable on my part. He didn't say that. He came in and he said the magic words: divorce. <laughs> right? Yeah. And Paul very understandably took that to mean we're through. Yeah. Yeah. John wasn't prefacing it with my first choice would be for the Beatles to continue under these conditions Paul heard I want a divorce and he heard that 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 was John's first choice yeah John wanted to divorce and that terms were irrelevant yes and I think it's perfectly sane for Paul to hear divorce and take that personally of course of course especially if John then mentions his divorce from Cynthia his real actual literal legal divorce from Cynthia and to top it all off, laughs. Yes. And is about mean how good and it cool. feels to say yes. it. Yeah. Like he's very obviously doing that to hurt Paul's feelings. And he said, divorce. So Paul would be a fool to not take that personally. Of course. It's like anybody watching that would say, that is personal. Obviously, all of this shit is personal. And if John's usual pattern is to proactively come and apologize after he says something dumb or to proactively backtrack after he says something wild that he didn't really mean and then john doesn't do that yeah if he comes back in three days and takes it all back then Mm -hmm. that's one thing but with each passing yeah with each passing day that grows more unlikely right yeah whereas i think john might be expecting a reaction more like the one that george got yeah or and he's, ringo yes when he's ringo like walked out i quit and <laughs> you don't even try to get me back what the fuck mm. so he's leaving the door open he's telegraphing that he wants to negotiate but he is also seemingly holding fast to paul needs to come to him yes meet him right. halfway yeah. yes i understand from paul's point of view where he's like fuck you You have no idea what you put me through. The very least that you could do is come correct to me. Yes. Like, I totally get it from Paul's point of view. Mm -hmm. Yeah. But on the other hand, is that something John is realistically capable of? Well, that's the thing. Maybe he wants to, but he can't. Yeah. It's like what we talked about in Pizza and Fairy Tales, when John admitted in 1980 that he can't phone his own friends. He can't reach out to people. Yeah, and he specifically said that it's been that way his whole life. That even back in Liverpool, if they didn't call me, I didn't come. That fits with the whole like, if you guys didn't personally invite yep. me to write more songs on the album, how would I know that you even like me? Yeah, yeah and and maybe that's why he stayed in bed when they were doing Abbey Road. Also, completely tracks with Derek Taylor's egregiously overlooked statement. <laughs> <laughs> In July of 1970 to Sunday Magazine, where he wrote, if Paul were to approach John and say, let's do it together again, he probably would. With no more words, he probably would do it. So, you know, again, reminder that Derek (laughs) Taylor is publicly saying he believes that Paul could still in summer of 1970 put an end to all of this by just approaching john and saying let's start over so in all of these statements we've just shared john is trying to walk it back but he's trying to walk a very fine line with that seems to me i think so yes yeah he's not gonna quite commit to the message you know he's not gonna give any unqualified praise to paul and he's not gonna beg It's just slightly conciliatory. Well, because again, he doesn't think, oh my God, I've destroyed him. Yeah. I've broken his heart. He thinks he's fucking pouting. Yeah. Get over yourself, Paul. Yeah. Yeah. I'll meet you halfway. Okay. We all said things we didn't mean. What else is new? We've gotten over it before. Exactly. (laughs) And you're behind schedule on our established making up patterns. Yeah. Shake it off. Or or just, you know, I need to be in the same room with you before I'm going to give you my apology. Well, that, that's a good point, too. I'm not going to say goopy things over the air. Well, that's for damn sure. So, like, step one is you have to get in touch. Yes. you got to call me or something. As we do, John can't call people and <laughs> needs to have people call him and reach out to him. Like we know that about him. He's either yeah. too proud or too insecure to to reach out most of the time, especially if it's a situation where he's gonna have to eat a little crow. Yeah. So it shouldn't surprise us at all that John is walking his words back very, very carefully and slowly. And he's speaking to Paul over the airwaves just as they do. For the rest of their lives. Yeah, but the problem is John is insecure and proud, but Paul is also insecure and proud. And by December, he has just started to find his footing without John. And John really hurt him. And if you've been really hurt and then you finally start to come out of it a little bit and start to see that maybe you can start to imagine a future without this person who by the way hurt you really badly that's that can be a tough decision to make no matter how much you love that person and wish that things had worked out and how much you wish this had all just never happened the problem is it did happen and you don't know that anything's really going to change any of that if you know it probably won't alan klein will still be there they'll mm-hmm. still have all the same fights and talking behind his back and all that shit there's no doubt about that that john is sticking with klein oh yeah so what what else is there to say from paul's point of view well that's the thing is like what situation is would he be returning to exactly and is it worth it yeah and john gives no indication that he realizes how big a problem it was for klein to tell him to lie to paul so And hasn't shown any remorse about that or, Uh -uh. you know, about Klein at all. Like he's really, really in deep with Klein. Yeah. Yeah. And that would be hurtful too. Like from Paul's point of view, can you imagine? Like Mm -hmm. you care more about this sleazeball manager than you care about me? Yeah. And the saddest thing is that I imagine John was thinking Paul has got to back down now. There's no way he hates Alan Klein more than he loves the Beatles. He won't let us lose the band over this. Yes. So it's now Christmas. John and Yoko head to Denmark. They're, They're visiting Kyoko. They're busy. And meanwhile, back in London on January 3rd, Paul goes into the studio with George and Ringo to record tracks for I, Me, Mine it's interesting though that john and george are confirmed to be in contact at this time Uh, not only did they put together at the lyceum ballroom on december 15th but george records with john in february after john returns home and we know that john speaks to george on the phone at least once while he's in denmark he mentions that he says it's about business (laughs) um but I do wonder to what extent George and John are communicating about Paul. I mean, I'm not sure how much Paul is sharing with George in the first place, but obviously if they're recording, right, they're talking, at least in a superficial way, right, right. certainly they're getting along, they're being civil, they're recording together. So um, I think I could have sworn that Paul said at that time, he has George's opinion about like, do you think, john is coming back has he changed his mind about leaving the group and george is like i don't know you know it seems like that would be a natural conversation for them to have though Uh, yeah totally so the question would be did george pass that on to john and if not is john asking like how was paul what did he look like what did he say you know (laughs) (laughs) exactly yeah and there's there's no way for us to know we'll never know but it's interesting to think about what i'd really like to know is if the i me mine sessions were deliberately scheduled for when john was out of the country i have to imagine it was deliberate because paul is deliberately avoiding john at this point i mean he's using it when he goes into the studio he's using a fake name yeah which is also kind of wild because that means you know it's not like um paul read the roster Looking for John's name to make sure that he avoided John and didn't come in on those days. If he's using a fake name, that means he doesn't want John to find his name and show exactly. up when Paul's exactly. there. Uh huh. It's it's a step beyond for sure. That means like I don't want you to find me. Yeah. Anyway, the point is maybe John was asking after Paul to George, <laughs> and Paul was asking. After John to George, poor George. Now you want me to carry notes back and forth? Absol- absolutely not. You know. <laughs> yeah. But now it has been over three months since John and Paul have talked. And I think John knows by now that he's fucked up. He knows <laughs> he needs to do something. And so far he's tried a lot of things. Yeah, he's actually tried quite a bit. Only a few days after the divorce meeting, he tried to explain himself via the interview with Barry Miles. Mm-hmm. In November, he stayed quiet and maybe backed off a bit. In December, he laid out their problems rationally and non-judgmentally yes. in the pages of NME and <laughs> offered to find a way forward. And now he's complimenting Paul and inviting him to come back, albeit in an irritated Sort of macho, I don't really give a fuck if you don't, kind of way. (laughs) Right. (laughs) That he knows Paul can see through. He also might feel like if I don't put that edge on it, I don't want to look pathetic. I want to look cool enough for him to want to come back. True. It didn't occur to me until you just said that, that John's three weeks of silence after Paul's Life magazine interview, where Paul says the Beatles thing is over. Maybe that wasn't just John being worried. Maybe that was a strategy to try to coax Paul out a little bit. Maybe he was thinking, "Okay, Paul needs some space. I'll give him that space before we say anything else we don't mean. But also, I think maybe he didn't want to be asked to comment on it. He had no he wouldn't have any way of knowing that no one in the world was going to pick up on that interview. So maybe he thought he'd have to face questions about it if he was in the press. So he's tried all these things. Nothing from Paul. So what does John do next? (laughs) Oh, Oh, John, on January 15th, he sends Paul a super sweet little postcard covered in hand-drawn hearts. And he writes, we love you and we'll see you soon. Does Yoko love in this, Paul? (laughs) Ah, (laughs) Doubtful. Now this is... John using the royal we. So, John says, I love you and miss you, basically. Yes. Does John love Linda? (laughs) (laughs) I know that people blow this off as nothing like, oh, it's just John being sentimental. Here's the thing let me push back on that because I agree that this is a pretty normal thing to send to your best friend over holidays. Mm -hmm. Like, I would totally send this to my bestie and her husband and say, We love you and miss you. Or we love you and we'll see you soon, whatever. What isn't normal is for someone whose last words were, I want a divorce, to send that to their estranged partner. Yeah. I mean, please, please just set aside the standard narrative and look at this objectively for a second. One spouse blurts out, I want a divorce. The second spouse slinks away. Then the first spouse starts making public overtures that things can be worked out, which are met with silence. And then after three and a half months, sends a postcard saying, I love you and we'll see you soon. When they have no plans in the works. To when see they show other, <laughs> by the way. <laughs> yes. And John doesn't even know where Paul is. Yeah. I mean, we all know what that means. So let me just ask you, what does it mean? It means he wants Paul back. Yeah. If you had any friend ever and they told you this story and they said, and then you'll never guess what they just did. They sent me a postcard saying they love me and want to see me soon. What does it mean? Y'all know what you would say to your friend. Yes. (laughs) Yeah. Right? Yeah. He wants you back. Yeah you going back to him are you gonna take that from him are you gonna just go see what he has to offer her yeah <laughs> might be worth it <laughs> yeah that's kind of where the conversation goes from this point yeah or don't do it don't do it i know you'll be sucked back in yep
0: no, it's always it's
1: different this time Yeah, nope it's hearts and flowers that's that's what they do <laughs> well it's about to get a hell of a lot more intense You didn't think John was just going to roll over, did you? Our (laughs) Our John? John? (laughs) (laughs) Pshaw! Hell no! (laughs) He's going to fight for his man. Amen. So tune into episode three, where we present John's boldest attempt yet to get Paul's ass back where it once belonged. (laughs) Join the two of us for episode three. Oh. On episode three? For episode three. Under. Episode three (laughs) Inside Episode. (laughs) The most intense episode yet. Oh my god. I love these two. They never disappoint. They are the best and the worst. (laughs) The worst. The worst. And they care so goddamn much about each other. It's it's painful. It gets you so invested because they're so invested that you can't help but get sucked into it. Totally. It really gives you a lot of sympathy for the times when they were just like, ugh, my life would be so much easier if I didn't care anymore. Yeah, they're a mess. I love them. God bless them. Yeah, so seriously, people, you need to prepare for episode three because it is going to get wild. Does John want Paul back? Oh, He's going to be drawing squirrels, chipmunks, apples, <laughs> hedgehogs, whatever it takes. <laughs> whatever cute, fluffy animal he thinks will lure Paul back into his trap. He's putting a cupcake under a tent, <laughs> pulling the stick away. I knew you couldn't resist an adorable bunny rabbit. I've got Martha, Paul. <laughs> Since Martha's fur in, a, in an envelope. <laughs> All right, we'll see you next right. time. Better get on with the BBC because they'll be very interested to know <laughs> that you're still alive. <laughs> <laughs> Where's the fucking phone box? Daphne is dead. D I D. <laughs> Sympatico. Mhm. I was gonna okay. say Sympatico. <laughs> you are not. Mhm. Ah! Well. I don't, I don't know why john is mercurial and paul is moody i i think we do know <laughs> yes because moody is what you get on pms yes yeah mercurial is like what a, a an artist is yes a male Gen- artist geniuses mm-hmm. are mercurial yeah have you ever heard a woman described as mercurial i don't think i have i don't think i have either that's a crime in and of itself it is yes women can be mercurial too (laughs) no they can't